Hello, adventurers, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of the World of Azuria podcast. My name is Beth Ball, and I'm the author of the Age of Azuria epic fantasy series, which we'll be exploring in this show. In some episodes, we'll be swept away into the magical world of Azuria as I read chapters from the novels and stories. In others, we'll dive into the lore behind Azuria, and I'll answer your questions about the world, characters, and more. If you enjoy epic fantasy worlds, immersive settings, nature-based magic, and vivid characters, then this podcast is for you. In our second season, we're traveling through Buried Heroes, book one in the Age of Azuria series. Today, I'll be reading from Chapter 7, where we find a newly revived Marcone and the Elioth inside Mara's hut, and learn more about what's going on with the Elioth's amulet. To discover what happens before new episodes are released every Tuesday, you can find Buried Heroes for free at bethballbooks.com shop or at your favorite book retailer. Let's start our adventure! Marcone, Elioth called out, and his piercing eyes settled on her. Relief coursed through her. He wasn't gone, after all. Elioth. His shoulders relaxed, but he maintained his defensive posture and turned back to Mara. Who were those others you spoke of? He had lost none of his commanding presence from the mountain. Mara raised open palms toward him and lowered them slightly, a gesture of ease. My conclave, the other druids who live in the Vagarvale, and a few visitors from afar. She stared at Marcone in amazement, as though she couldn't believe he was really standing there. Marcone looked at Yelioth and waited for her signal. I think we are all right here, at least for the time being. She's trying to help us. Yelioth glanced down at her amulet, its inner glow diminished, replaced by the rune-covered man before her. A trick of the light when he first appeared made the runes glow as they had when he first awoke, but as the amulet's brightness faded away, the runes turned to pale tattoos, a few shades darker than his own skin. Some raised slightly from the surface, others drifted beneath it. He glanced at Mara for a moment longer before he lowered his shield and sword. Do you mind if I rest these here? He indicated the wall across from Elioth, where collections of herbs and colorful paintings gathered together in small communities. Not at all. Mara still looked surprised and was short of breath, but she composed herself as she watched Marcone stash his gear and begin to acquaint himself with her home. I'll make everyone a fresh cup of tea momentarily. She handed Elioth a small towel to dry herself off with. Thank you, Mara. Elioth smiled at Marcone, who stood uneasily on the far side of the room. Would you like to sit with me while Mara tells us about her druid friends? She patted the pile of furs and scooted to the side to make space. I've never met any druids before, she said to the two of them, though I have long been curious about them. She had been waiting to encounter druids since she had first read tales of their wondrous magic and rich history in Aurora's library as a child. No druids, lady. Marcone settled down beside her, as unconcerned by his scant attire as he had been on the mountainside. She'd seen many powerful fighters over the years in the castle, but Marcone's rippling array of muscles looked more appropriate to the meticulously illustrated covers of the scandalous novels servants would sneak into castles for their noble masters than to the cramped practicality of Mara's hut. She tore her eyes away from the complicated carving of ancient arcane symbols around his shoulder and met his gaze. Sorry? Pay attention, Elioth chastised herself. No, my apologies. He furrowed his brow. I was simply surprised that you had not met any druids before. I thought the residents of Lee's Main and the Hallowed Hills had traveled widely enough to make up for their small numbers. 
Elioth shook her head, not recognizing the names of any of these mysterious places. His lips parted to clarify, but Mara interrupted. Marcone, we have much to tell you as well. Foremost, Elioth is not familiar with Eldura. Then where? Mara interrupted him. It has been 5,000 years since you disappeared on a mission into the mountains. Marcone stared back at Mara, incredulous, cycling through the questions about her grip on reality Elioth had puzzled over a short time before. These lands are called Azuria now, after a great flood that divided the city-states from one another. That was a few thousand years after the end of the War of the Champions, after the fall of Respite. The color drained from Marcone's face, and his eyes drifted beyond the confines of Mara's hut into the wide, unreachable universe of the past. Elia laid her hand on his arm to communicate her own surprise at this revelation. There had to be a mistake of some kind. He's from 5,000 years ago? Yes, I know this comes as a shock to both of you. Linolin's founding goes back 1,000 years, but five... I don't know what to say, Marcone began. He stared into the distance again, as though the words he needed were inscribed in tiny print on the wooden walls of Mara's hut. What happened? That is a long story, much of which has been erased. We had hoped that you might be able to tell us. You've been waiting for him? Elioth asked. In a sense, though the entire affair is quite complex. I will need some time, but if you are indeed allies as you say you are, I will endeavor to help as I can. He set his expression into one of stern determination. So then, where are we? We are at the base of a mountain range on a continent named Kaldara. Near the center of a large forest, two and a half days travel south and west from where Ielia found you. Marcon considered Mara's words. And no one uncovered me before. The druid pursed her lips. That is a more complex question. Others searched for you, but your enemies hid you extremely well. Mara's demeanor had changed. She had looked them both in the eye when she began speaking, but now she busied herself in the cabinets instead of meeting Marcon's gaze. What was she hiding? Is that anything to do with my amulet? Mara's cheeks flushed in answer, and she looked up from the mortar and pestle she had been pouring ingredients into. In a way. Mara studied them each in turn. She sighed deeply and her shoulders fell. I realize that this is a lot to take in. I do not want to overwhelm you with more information. You, she said to Elioth, are still recovering. And you, she nodded to Marcone, have an entire new age to grow accustomed to. Mara set down her supplies and walked over to the burbling kettle on the fire. Marcone, would you go out and refresh our stores of firewood while I tend to Elioth's arm? I'll let this steep, and it will be ready when you return. He nodded and rose to leave. We can find you more substantial clothes from one of the neighbors. It will grow chilly this evening. That would be most appreciated. Thank you. And Marcone? Just the ones that have fallen. He grinned. My memory is still muddied, but while I cannot recall their names or faces, I have met druids before. He opened the small wooden door and stepped outside. Mara poured a splash of steaming water on the mixture of herbs and petals she had ground together in her bowl. I believe it may be time for us to wrap your arm again. It is feeling rather sore. The elven woman knelt beside her and placed her warm hand on Elioth's. I saw your reaction a short time ago. 
I assure you, I am not trying to trick you or Marcone. I did not think you were, not exactly, but I could tell that you were leaving something out. I am leaving out a great many things, but we must hold space for knowledge as well as for wisdom, and a necessary condition of being part of a conclave is trusting those around you. Part of a conclave? Yes, a druid conclave. Mar appeared at the punctures from the ice creature on Eliot's forearm, or, in your case, being taken care of by a druid conclave. Eliot winced as Mara applied a molasses-like liquid to her arm, then worked to wipe it away. My apologies. The swelling has been worse than I had accounted for, and the arm is still bruised. Mara poured the remnants of the kettle's contents into a clay bowl and pulled a stack of towels from one of the bureau's drawers. It's important, when working with remedies, to remove any vestige of the old poultice to ensure the cut remains clean. Since we've left yours uncovered for a time, we'll go through the same cleansing process. A great many of the castle residents would say that is the work of holy water. Mara smiled. And were we of a different faith, I am sure I would agree with them. What about for you? I understand that many herbs have healing properties. It is more common among the nobility to sterilize the wounds. That practice was passed down from the soldiers, I believe, or a portion of their ranks. They have special tinctures that the war priests and healers use. This was not something you personally experienced? Eliath laughed. No, not physically. Maman was quite careful, but there was a woman, Marie, I knew when I was very young. It seems I had more scrapes and falls then, who would craft cures for me from the sea. The water burned, but our wounds healed quickly and never became infected. She sounds like a wise herbalist. Those who are adept at their practice are diligent to learn their environment. A cure in one place can wear a mask that hides poison in another. Mara dried the remnants of the claw marks and dabbed the healing poultice onto Eliot's skin. The wound felt cooler the moment the mixture touched her. In the castle gardens, we grew a few herbs, but I never had the chance to study their uses. And why was that? I don't know that I could say exactly. I learned of the historical meanings and significance of the flowers, and the arborist taught me to care for the trees, but the herbs, as far as I understood, were for scent, decoration, and flavor. Any used for healing were kept in their own greenhouses. Mara wrapped a clean bandage around Eliot's arm. She made each turn slowly so the binding would hold. Many years ago, in my parents' lifetime, it would have been forbidden for one to study the natural herbs and remedies. The world was a wilder place then, traversed by wandering, willful spirits. Interference with the natural order risked inviting powerful forces beyond the influence of mortals. People like the members of my conclave were driven away. Most juridic history follows a similar narrative pattern, such is the way of things. We settled here, and our community grew. The seasons changed many times over, and the minds of those beyond our borders shifted as well. Mara finished wrapping the bandage and secured it, tucking the end gently into the folds around Eliot's arm. They wanted access to our magic, as they called it. This is an imprecise description of what we bring to the world. For the most part, we practice ancient wisdoms handed down across the ages. Our leaders told them no. They imagined hordes of travelers damaging our home in search of a miraculous cure and turning to violence should we be unable to help. Even now I had to seek the blessing of the elders to tend to your wounds and frostbite. Being rescued by the Saudad as you were, they were unlikely to refuse. It's hard for me to believe that they rescued me. Until a short time ago, I did not know whether or not they were real. 
But Mara, how did they know where I was? I wondered when we might return to the complicated questions. The light crunch of Marcone's footsteps outside announced his return before he called from the other side of the closed flap. Where would you like these, Mistress Druid? Mara's light laugh danced across her hut. By the door is fine for the present. She tucked the shawl she'd lent Eeliath back around her patient's shoulders. Come back in, she told him. Your tea is ready. Marcone gave Eeliath a quick smile as he stepped back into the hut and asked after her arm. Mara brought tea over for the two of them and remained standing with her own cup. The weather is so pleasant today, she observed. I thought the three of us might take a short walk. I would be glad to see more of the woods, Eliot said. I've never been this far east before. Movement would benefit your circulation as well, lady, Marcone said. I know that was one of the concerns initially, that your extremities had grown too cold. Initially? By whom? Mara spoke over Eliot's questioning. I'm going to step out for a brief moment to see about hardier clothing for you, Marcone. I cannot see how you're not shivering. And while I'm gone, Eliot, I laid out your things behind the divider. Would you help her up and into her jacket? She asked Marcone. We've just affixed the bandages. He assented, and Mara slipped through the leather door flap. His stare lengthened again when they were alone, but he helped her to extract herself from the blankets and furs. Marcone, she began tentatively, could you hear our conversation earlier, before I called you, or when they found me? Despite the roaring fire, the room was chilly beyond the confines of the furs. Behind the silver screen, Eliath pulled off the shift and dug through her bag for warmer, more practical clothing. I did not mean to pry, lady, but yes, I have heard much of the events transpiring around you in the last few days. The long span of time elapsed underground helped to explain Marcone's unique accent, and the low rumble of his voice still sent chills down the base of her spine. Do you think we're safe here? She stuck her head around the divider to meet his eyes. I do, at least for the present. There is much that I do not understand. The first instances I overheard were on the mountain. I was in a well-appointed room decorated in reds and golds. From there, I emerged to stand between you and the giant a second time. He exhaled in frustration. Eliath carefully tied her leather breeches, her fingers stiff from days of disuse, and Marcone continued. After I failed you a second time, I returned to the chamber. I tried to call for you. I cried out to Ignis, but no answer came. It began to darken, to grow cold. I heard your fading heartbeat. These markings beneath my skin, they glowed red, burned. I returned to the agony from... from just before you found me. From thousands of years ago, it seems. The grief in his voice clutched Eliot's heart. Over my own pain, my echoes roaring in my ears, I heard a soft scratching sound, and then a gasp. The room seemed to move up, though my balance in the furnishings remained unthreatened. I cannot believe it, the voice said. You will be all right, I promise. Marcone changed his own accent to mimic what he had heard, heavily stressing the T's and shading the W to a V. The voice called over others. They seemed to know who you were, had been searching for you, and wanted to take you somewhere to recover. There was a second woman's voice. She said something over you, a prayer of healing. The darkness faded, your heartbeat steadied, the runes calmed, and the even sound of your breath returned. From what I can tell, they've been tending to you for two or three days. But I don't understand. Where is this room? I think it must be located inside your amulet, lady. Eliot stepped out from behind the divider, back in her leather pants and corset, the jacket draped over her arm. 
Marcone's expression returned to the indecipherable one he'd had shortly after they met, but it quickly passed. I don't see how you would fit, Eliot said. She lifted the amulet to show him. Marcone shrugged and moved forward to help her into her coat. My hunch, he said, is that we will learn more in due course, but for now... Marcone smiled and held a bare elbow gallantly out toward her. Shall we step outside and meet these people who know so much about us while we know so little about them? I would appreciate a breath of fresh air. She took his arm and they made for the door. A weight lifted from deep inside her chest with the shifting sense of the order of the world. Something, she knew, was finally about to change. Thank you so much for joining me for today's adventure through Buried Heroes in the World of Azuria. If you'd like to find out more about me or my fiction, you can find me at bethballbooks.com. You can also find my books worldwide at your favorite bookstore or ask your local librarian to add them to the library catalog. To stay up to date with the world of Azuria and be the first to know about upcoming fiction projects, visit bethballbooks.com join. I would love for you to be a part of my reading community, The Story Enclave, and as a special thanks to you for a limited time, you'll receive a free ebook copy of Aurora when you sign up. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at bethballauthor or on Twitter at groveguardian, or you can email me beth at bethballbooks.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Amber Queen, book three in the Age of Azuria series. Amber Queen picks up our hero stories after the events of after the events of Hanverian Heist, book two. I won't say more here to avoid spoilers, but it's such a fun and exciting novel. You can pre-order your copy of Amber Queen at bethballbooks.com/shop or at your favorite bookseller. If you enjoyed our time together today and would like to hear more stories set in Azuria, you can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash groveguardianpress. Look for the Fae and Damon tiers. We return to Buried Heroes next Tuesday, June 29th for Chapter 8 and a new character. The theme song for this podcast was created by Garrett Rose of The Bardic Inspiration, who you can find on Instagram or Patreon at The Bardic Inspiration. Happy travels, and I hope that we'll be adventuring together again soon.